Hello, and welcome to my podcast. I'm Jeff Bender, and this is Knee Deep, Season 2, Episode 49. I appreciate you joining me today and welcome your feedback on Instagram at author Jeff Bender or on my website, jeffmbender.com. Don't forget the M as in more, please. This episode is the last in a three-part series called Lighting a Torch in the Land of Zoysia. I realized growing up as a child that there were times when the physician in my father got the best of him. The Hippocratic Oath he had taken to become a doctor at times transferred to other passions he had, such as the art of growing zoysia grass in our front yard. Dad believed with enough care and skill he could germinate a strain of grass that would be so attractive that my brother and I would want to set up a permanent camp outside. Hey boys, he started one morning at the breakfast table. How would you guys like to set up a little camp out in the front yard? Wow, Dad, you really mean it? We were ecstatic. Sure, why not? You could come in to use the bathroom, of course. Would we be able to set fire to the lawn in the fall like always? We could watch the zoysia for you all the time, Gary added, reaching out for a piece of burnt toast. And so the enriching atmosphere in our family grew at a voracious rate, like the zoysia creeping slowly across America. For example, a long zoysia runner I noticed on the way to school one morning had grown all the way up the block and was there to meet me in the boulevard as I walked home the same day. This was my father's dream, the Hippocratic Oath lived out on God's ever-greener zoysia earth. Other pledges were being acted out around my father as well, as our entire neighborhood appeared to be on the verge of burning to the ground. Local fathers lined up like tin soldiers, rakes in their hands, monitoring burning piles of leaves along the street curb. A fire truck had pulled up as a safety precaution, but seemingly had no interest at all in the nearby blazes. Instead, Mr. Brooks, the fire chief, looking down from his cab, had engaged my father in a long conversation about his recent urinary problems and the history of kidney stones in his family. Nearby, the Civil Defense Committee was alive and well, having hunkered down on the front porch of our city's leading leaf-burning zealot, Miss Crenshaw, whose landmark, even odd ordinance had made absolutely no difference in when responsible men burned their leaves. It was also apparent that the committee's burn ordinance had not made any difference in the destructive nature of fire itself. As a chunk of blazing zoysia came off Gary's whiffed tee shot from across the street, its trajectory was in line with Miss Crenshaw's front porch and there wasn't any ordinance this side of the Mississippi that could have stopped it. Gary's shot may have been a slice, it may have been a fade, but golf vocabulary aside, every head turned as the flaming zoysia fireball arced across the street like a red-hot rainbow. Holy cow! 
said Mr. Brooks, the fire chief. Yikes, I yelled, running after the firebomb as if it were a puppy. That's my boy, said my dad, raising both arms up as if Gary had just won the PGA championship. Yet Nancy, sweet as they come Nancy, the girl who had not been able to take her eyes off Gary, was so dazzled as she walked down the street that she had to grab our fence post for support, utterly committed to her relationship with a rising star in golf pyrotechnics. Never mind that Gary could be convicted of petty arson at any moment or that Nancy might be spending a lot of weekends visiting Gary in prison. She was, in every sense of the word, smitten. Gary, taking full advantage of the thrill of his victory, walked over and politely opened the gate for her, escorting her through the land of burning zoysia and handing her a nine iron. Now let me show you how this is done, Gary said nonchalantly, and through a series of smooth romantic moves, positioned Nancy so that he could wrap his arms around her in preparation for a golf lesson. First, you have to grip the handle like this, Gary said, speaking softly, while Nancy, not caring one thing about a grip, simply stared into Gary's eyes as if her world had gone celestial. Okay, no, no, not quite. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Okay, you got it. Now bend your knees a little, Gary instructed ever so gently, and step by step, half instructed, half carried her through a textbook golf swing. Within one or two tries, Nancy was swinging wildly herself, mostly missing, but still sending a respectable number of zoysia patches over the fence. Together, as Gary also began to attack the wiffle balls, mostly missing them, the two became a match made in zoysia heaven. Of course, Gary had already hit dead center underneath a wall of decorative crepe paper on Miss Crenshaw's porch, sending flames racing up to her gutter where more leaves awaited incineration. Fire! Fire! came screams from inside as members of the Civil Defense Committee stampeded out onto Miss Crenshaw's lawn. Firemen from the idling Engine 99 fell off the truck like paratroopers and escorted coffee men and well-dressed ladies out to the curb where they were met by men stoking their leaf fires in the street. Mr. Brooks became overexcited in the mayhem, soiling his uniform in a heartbreaking nervous bladder incident resulting in another emergency fire truck being called for a fresh pair of fire retardant overalls and his urinary retention medicine. Naturally, one of the locals, probably living in an even-numbered house, had notified the local news, who were now winding their way up the street in a Humvee. The producer slash reporter slash camera stiff, anxious to get the story, had jumped off before detaching his 75-foot antenna and was being dragged through small brush fires, prompting a 911 call for an ambulance. That night on the 10 o'clock news, footage of the chaotic and lawless scene taken by a second-rate backup crew showed footage of my father swatting glowing embers a little too vigorously off Miss Crenshaw's chest. 
Upheaval notwithstanding, Gary and Nancy, still trading love swings back and forth, were oblivious to anything but who could send the next chunk of zoysia the farthest. To that end, the two lovebirds had succeeded in hitting nine adjacent lawns with fertile zoysia chunks. And as if love could have gotten any sweeter, a soft rain had begun to fall that engulfed Gary and Nancy in their own private love bubble. For everyone else, however, the rain doused tempers and a modicum of civility returned, enough so that the fire department, the news anchor team, and all other law-abiding citizens in the neighborhood were able to return to their homes. The next day, as is typical in the Midwest, a sudden snowstorm blew in and replaced our neighborhood's scorched earth chaos with a blanket of unblemished white snow. Peace had been restored, and with it, the seedlings of love embedded in uprooted patches of zoysia, settling in for a long winter's nap, safe in their secret hideaways until spring rains awaken their greedy little fingers and they begin to reach out for new horizons in other people's yards. They had been delivered to those homes by a couple of hackers who were inspired by the torch of youthful passion and a couple of nine irons spreading the zoysia from here to kingdom come. Love knows no bounds and neither does the zoysia. Both had been a guiding light, a sign that greener pastures were ahead on both odd days and evens, at least until next fall, when a new crop of white zoysia would go up in smoke. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the podcast. Please subscribe so you receive notifications of future episodes. I look forward to wading in knee deep with you next week.